Morning, everyone. It's good to see y'all here this morning. For those of you that don't know me and I haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, welcome. If you are a guest, whether it's your first time or it's been a while since you were last with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we want to make sure that you get one of our welcome gifts. So if this is your first time or you haven't been with us in a while, or maybe you were, were able to make it through without one of our wonderful ushers or greeters getting you one of, their, one of our welcome gifts in the past, make sure you grab one on your way out. It'll give you some information about us, what we're about here at Chatham Community Church and in Chatham County, and also it'll give you the opportunity to enjoy uh, some wonderful gifts from local vendors in our community. It's a way in which uh, we get to say welcome to Chatham County and also a way in which we get to bless some of the merchants here. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good heist plot in a TV show, in a movie, in a book. Uh, so I was a pretty big fan of the show Leverage a few years ago. The show follows a five-person team consisting of a thief, a grifter, a hacker, a retrieval specialist slash muscle, and a former insurance investigator as they gather together to use their skills uh, to fight back against big organizations. Sometimes those are public organizations, sometimes those are private organizations, sometimes they're local, sometimes they're not. Uh, but it's when those organizations uh, are using sort of their power and their size to take advantage of ordinary citizens, the folks at leverage sort of step in to do something to fight back. And there's a scene in the first episode that captures a bit of the dynamic that the team has all throughout the series. Now, they've, they've, they've been gathered reluctantly for a job, and as they're sort of preparing for the job, Hardison, who's the hacker and tech specialist, hands a piece of equipment that he's created to Elliot, who's the retrieval specialist and who's the muscle, big, brawny, grunty kind of guy. Uh, and uh, Elliot looks at the equipment suspiciously and says to Hardison, is this thing safe? And Hardison says, yeah, it, it's, it's completely safe. Just, you know, if, if you experience nausea, weakness in your right side, stroke, strokiness, and Elliot grunts and says, you're precisely why I work alone. <laughs> the team struggles off and on throughout the series to work together, and all of them have moments where they seemingly walk away content to leave the team behind, maybe ready to strike on their own. But they keep coming back. They inevitably come back because they believe in the mission. They believe in the mission that they've taken on, and they are convinced that the only way that they can actually effectively accomplish that mission is by working together, is by working together. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about the kinds of things that build inner strength in us and help us become resilient people, to meet the challenges both that life brings on us and that we welcome from life, so adversity, but also the kind of challenges that come when we set ourselves up to achieve a goal, something that will stretch us, but also the kind of things that help us become resilient when we face the kind of challenges that come to our faithfulness and our commitment to God when we find ourselves in inhospitable or even antagonistic environments. We've been looking at the things that scriptures say are true about us and about us as a community that help us to live resilient lives. Ultimately, throughout this series, what we want is to be resilient people in a resilient community so that we can make an impact in Chatham County and beyond. We want to have a resilient core for that. 
And we just spent the past three weeks talking about the kinds of things that are true about us as individuals that help us build a resilient core, the kinds of things that strengthen us. But there are things that go beyond what, are, what is true about us as individuals. There are things that are true that build inner strength and resilience that only come when we are part of a community, and not just any community, but a resilient community. There is a level of inner strength and resilience that we can only access when we are part of a resilient community. There is a level of inner strength and resilience that we can only access as part of a resilient community, which then begs the question, what makes for a resilient community? There are a few ways we could go about answering that question, but for the next few weeks, we're going to use our church's core values to answer that question and to paint a picture of a resilient community. Our church's core values are that we as a church aspire to be gospel-centered, biblically guided, relationally connected, outwardly focused, and generous-hearted. And today, we're going to talk about how being relationally connected can help us become or be a resilient people. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Uh, If you don't happen to have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But if you're new to the Bible and are trying to find your way, there are Ephesians in the New Testament. So it'll be in the latter third of your Bibles. And uh, we will be in chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. And I'll be on the screen in just a second. Here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we are in the South and a particular contraction is appropriate in the South. And I'm going to reread that with a slight word change that I think is going to help drive the point home just a little bit better. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge y'all to live a life worthy of the calling y'all have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as y'all were called to one hope when y'all were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, the translation of the Greek into our language doesn't all, into English doesn't always help us because when we see you particularly because we are part of an individualistic culture, we automatically, by default, assume that it is speaking to the individual. But we know that you can be collective as well. And in these passages, the word that we translate as you is probably better translated as y'all. This is a y'all passage. This is not an individual passage. This is a passage to the collective. It's a y'all passage, and it's not just any old y'all that is being referred to in this passage. The church in the first century, was breaking new ground on what it meant to be community because it was marked by a diversity in its community. Here was a community, unlike others, where you had both Jews and non-Jews together. You had men and women together. You had old and young together. You had rich and poor together, and in some ways standing on the same footing, in some ways equal to one another. Paul starts 
this section of his letter to this community in Ephesus by urging them to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. Not just a calling as individuals, but a calling as a community. He's reminding them that the life that they were made to live is a life in relationship. The life they were made to live is a life in community. And it's not just any relationship. It's relationships that overcome the dividing walls that we set up to separate us from one another. The dividing walls that we have set up all throughout history to separate us, to divide us, to to stratify us, to make us feel better or worse than others, the types of relationships that this community is embodying that we are called to embody are relationships that overcome those dividing walls, that break them down. This has been the calling of followers of Jesus throughout history. The life we've been made for is a life in community. The life we've been made for is a life in community. The life worthy of the calling that we have received is a life in community. It's a life where we are relationally connected at all times. Not just relationally connected to folks who are like us in whatever ways you want to quantify that, but to people who in fact might seemingly have very little to nothing in common with us. The church at its best is a healthy setting for relationships to be built that transcend the divides that society dictates to us and that we welcome sometimes as well. The church at its best is a place where relationships overcome the political divides. At its best, it's a place where relationships overcome the class divide. At its best, it's a place where relationships overcome the ethnic divides and the racial divides, and the gender divides, and the generational divides, and so much more. The church, at its best, is where those barriers are overcome. When I was in college, I was part of a group of students who came from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of economic backgrounds, all sorts of church backgrounds, all sorts of experience backgrounds. And at every gathering, or almost every gathering, we used to say some things that were true about us. They were sort of like a call and response kind of things. And one of the things we used to say would translate roughly into English as, there are more things that unite us than those that separate us. And if I were to refine that just a little bit, it was probably more like the things that bring us together are greater than the things that threaten to separate us. It's not necessarily that there are just a lot more things that bring us together. Oftentimes with some people, there was very little that I had in common with them. It was that the thing and the things that brought us together was so much greater in magnitude, in power, and significance than anything else that might threaten to separate us because the thing and the things that brought us together had everything to do with God, with Jesus, with faith in Him, with seeking to follow Him, and that was greater than any class separation that we had, than any gender differences that we had, than any differences of tradition that we had, than any racial differences that we had. It was just greater. The thing that unites us, the thing that brings us into relationship, the thing that binds us to be a relationally connected community is greater than anything that would separate us, anything that would separate us, regardless of what society tells us, regardless of what we tell ourselves about who we can or can't be in relationship with. 
One of the points God is, uh, Paul is communicating to his audience and to us is not that the differences don't matter. And it's not that when we start to follow Jesus, we become some sort of homogeneous community where we all think the same and act the same and are the same. That is not what he's communicating. What he's communicating is that there's something greater than all that. And where all those things and other settings might be used to separate us, the thing that unites us is stronger. It is greater. And it enables us to be relationally connected into this beautifully diverse community when it's at its best. It's why he says that there is one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and one Father, one Father of all. He says that that one Father of all is over all and through all and in all. God is a God in community. One of the great mysteries and wonders of the Christian faith is this idea of the three-in-one God. Beyond all the different ways to explain how that is true, there's this dynamic of community that is embedded in the very nature of God, this dynamic of relationship that is at the core of who God is. One of the things Scripture teaches us about us is that we were made in the image of God. We are image bearers. And when you and I are relationally connected, when you and I allow the thing that unites us to overcome the things that might separate us, when we allow the love of God, the faith, the one faith, the one baptism, the one Father of all who is in all and through all and over all to overcome the things that might separate us, when we engage and are relationally connected, there is something of God that runs through those relationships. There are ways God is present in the relationships we build and how we keep them that cannot be found in isolation. If you are hungry for God, if you want to know God, then there are aspects of God that you cannot know outside of relationship with others. Because there are ways in which the communal God is manifest that are mirrored in the ways we have relationships with each other. We miss out on knowing God when we choose to be relationally disconnected and isolated. So then, if, life, if the life that we were made for is one in community, and there are ways to know God that can only be found in community, that can only be found when we're relationally connected to one another, then it makes sense that Paul calls the people in Ephesus and calls us to make every effort to preserve unity, to keep the unity through the bond of peace. He invites them and us to fight to maintain relational connection. And here's the thing, it's not easy. It's not easy to maintain relational connection because the volume on the things that, that, that separate us, that might threaten to separate us, the things that makes us distinct, the things that are used to divide us is very, 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 very loud. And the push to conform to one group or another is very, very, very strong. But it is worth it to stay relationally connected. It is worth it. And Paul doesn't just encourage us to do it. He tells us how. He says that we fight to maintain relational connection through complete humility, through gentleness, through patience, through bearing with one another, through love. 
here's what I want us to note. The fights about what divide us are often us against them. But the fight to preserve unity happens in here. The fight to preserve unity happens in here. It's about our heart, our soul. It's about our will, our ability to remain humble, our ability to persist in gentleness, our ability to be patient, to bear with one another, our ability to love. Take a moment right now and examine yourself. In the fight to preserve unity, as you look at this list, is there ground in you to be won or to be recaptured? Maybe you fought hard for gentleness in the past but have let it go. Maybe you've given in to bitterness or maybe you've given in to sort of combativeness. It's time to retake ground to preserve unity. What might you do this week to fight for relational connection? What might God be inviting you to fight for this week? In here, not out there, in order to be relationally connected so that you might increase in strength, continue to grow in resilience, know more of God and step into the life that you were made for. When we buy into the value of relational connection and fight for it, we get to receive the gifts that come with it and through it. It's part of what Paul talks about later in the passage, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Here it goes. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all until we all, where am I? There we go. Reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. The lead into this section alludes to the work of Christ, to the work of Jesus, to his life, death, and resurrection. And out of that, it links that to the concept of relational connection. It links it to unity. Jesus modeled relational connection. The life he lived while he was on earth was a life lived in community, and it didn't have to be. The Son of God could have come in any number of ways and done what he did in any number of ways, but there is something about the fact that he did it in community, not just with the 12, but with larger communities, with other people engaged in the community. Jesus lived a life in relationship. It makes sense then that part of what he leaves as a legacy to the church, what he leaves as a legacy to us, what he gifts us and charges us to, has to do with relationships and has to do with community. Here are some of the principles that we can draw from this section that we just read. When we are relationally connected in Christ, we receive gifts that are given. We develop through equipping and we mature and grow. When Paul writes about the dynamics of a community that is relationally connected, 
followers of Jesus who are relationally connected. He sometimes uses the language of gifts, that there are gifts distributed to those in the community. These gifts are meant to bless the community. They're meant to point people to Jesus, both within and outside the community. Now, sometimes Paul talks about specific gifts. There are other passages that talk about the gift of hospitality or the gift of teaching or the gift of prophecy. These are what we call spiritual gifts. Here, he happens to mention what we might call specific roles. He mentions the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Now, there are different understandings of whether these were offices or roles or responsibilities, or maybe they were a way to summarize a number of gifts that sort of happen to occur simultaneously in people. There are differences of opinion of whether this is official or unofficial. There are differences of opinion whether these things persist now or don't persist anymore. We're not going to dwell too much on that. But within those five words, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There are things going on in the community that still go on today. They go on in interconnected communities. There is the establishment of new things where Jesus is proclaimed and people are drawn unto him, where God's power is at work in both word and in deed. There are consistent calls to be aligned with God's will for our lives, both in our personal holiness, our personal way of living, and in the ways that we treat others, those who are less fortunate especially. There is a consistent invitation for people to enter into the family of Jesus, for people to cross over from death to life. There is attending to the needs of the people. There is tending to growth in maturity of spirit, in maturity of faith. There is care provided. And there is growth in understanding and knowledge. Those are the gifts given to the community that is relationally connected. They are still part of the gifts Christ gives to those who are relationally connected in him. Equipping happens in these communities. All of those gifts work together so that everyone would grow in their ability to serve faithfully, to bear witness truthfully, that we would have the tools that we need to love God well and to love others well. And as that happens, we grow. We grow. We grow in maturity. We grow in relationship. We grow in the quality of our love. We grow in the quality of our witness. We grow as those around us come to understand more and more the power and significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That maturing is one of the ways that we develop inner strength and resilience. It's how we develop it individually, but it's also how we develop resilience as a community. And communal resilience is necessary because there are some challenges that come in life that we cannot bear on our own. There's a scene in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. For those of you who are Marvel fans, you'll remember it. For those of you who are not, just go with me. We won't, we won't dwell here for long. All right? We're going into space here, so just bear with me with a little bit of sci-fi. There's a huge ship that's about to invade a planet. For those of you who are fact-checking me, we're talking about Xandar. <laughs> it's about to invade this planet. It's attacking this planet. It's a huge ship. And the forces for defense that this planet has are all very small ships. None of those ships can put a dent into this big ship. None of those little ships can do anything to stop that big ship. As the ship starts to breach the atmosphere, I don't even know if that's the right word, but we're going to use it. 
starts to approach the atmosphere, is seen in the sky, those little ships start to arrive at a particular point. They start to align with each other. None of those ships by itself can stand against that big ship, but as they start to align alongside each other, there's this force field that starts to be created among them. It starts to be linked among them. And all of a sudden, when that big ship that's invading hits it, it cannot get through at first. It cannot get through. Because those little ships linked together have created strong resilience, have been able to withstand the challenge. Now, this is a movie, and these are not the main heroes, so eventually that ship gets through, but (laughs) this is the image I want to leave you with. This wall that gets created. I told you, I'll need to go with me for a second. Because there's something powerful about those little ships coming together and forming this huge wall that's able to withstand the push. It's kind of like that in life. There are challenges that we were not made to face alone. There are challenges that we can't face alone. And God has given us people that we can link together with. And when we remain relationally connected, we can withstand everything because of the power of Christ in us, through us, and among us. The life without relational, without relational connection is one in which we are tossed to and fro, says the passage. It's one in which we are immature, as infants, says the passage. It's one in which we are swayed. Alone, we are tossed back and forth. We are blown here and there, but together we are sturdy. Together we are resilient. When we are relationally connected, we become resilient. Even if you don't find yourself hugely resilient on your own, one of the gifts of being relationally connected is that you get to borrow the resilience of the community. You get to borrow the resilience of the community. The life with relational connection is joined, it's supported, it's firm, it's built, it's collaborative, it's resilient. That's the life we've been invited to. The one where we can face adversity not alone, but together. One of the ways we cultivate relational connection here at Chatham Community Church is through small groups. Most of them are weekly gatherings of six to eight people that meet in homes, some of that meet at some of our campuses, and they embody the things that we've talked about today. The people in those small groups grow in inner strength. They grow in resilience. In those small groups, you see relationships strengthen. In those small groups, you see people study Scripture and its application and live it out in their lives. In those groups, you'll have an opportunity to serve one another and to serve together. In those groups, you'll have an opportunity to be prayed for and to pray. And if you don't know how to pray, you will learn. You will learn. You will learn. Those are spaces where you can ask your questions and grow in your faith. They are places where you will get to celebrate and you will get to mourn. But you will not be alone. They're the places where with, when the challenges come, you will find that people are alongside you, granting you their resilience as you become a resilient community together. Together. So here's what I'd like you to do. You've got the card. I'd like you to grab hold of it. 
Grab hold of it. Maybe you're already in a small group and you won't need to fill that out. Maybe you need to take it home and think about it before you fill it out. That's okay, but I want you to hold on to it. Because what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read. I'm going to reread part of the text and I'm going to pray a prayer for our small groups. I'm going to pray a prayer for you and for us. If you're not part of a small group yet, I want you to ask God if this is your time. And then fill that card out. And if you are in a small group, I want you to pray for those cards, for the people who are filling them out. Maybe they'll find a place in your small group, regardless that they would find a place where, like you, they have become relationally connected and are growing. So grab those cards and listen to this verse. This is what I pray and what I ask for small groups, that they be places where people speak truth and love, where everyone there grows to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That from him, the whole small group, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each member of that small group does their part, does their work, does their work. Let me pray. Gracious God, gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God in community. Thank you, Jesus, that when you came, you modeled healthy community. Thank you, God, that when you rose to heaven, you left us with gifts that can only be experienced in community. Thank you, Lord. But even though it's true that there is adversity and there are challenges in this life that are far more than what we can handle on our own, one, you are in us, but also you link us to others so that we might be resilient and strong alongside others. Lord, thank you that in this community, I can look out, I look out, and I see people who could tell stories of how their small group helped them grow their faith, how they helped others grow their faith. I see people whose needs were met through their small group. I see people who met the needs of others through their small group. I see people who came to faith thanks to their small group. I see people with whom gifts emerged and leadership developed through their small group. Thank you, Lord, that in that hope, Lord, we know that there's more coming this year. I pray for the small groups that are forming, the new one in Chapel Ridge, the new one I'm leading, the new ones in North Chatham, Lord, that they would be populated with people and for those existing small groups, that you would spark a renewing fire in them. Pour out your spirit, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join in worship?